All right. Well, hey, guys. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jay. Uh, it's good to have you guys here. And to all you who are listening, we, uh, we're going to do something that I don't – have we done something like this before? I don't think we have. I don't think so. I think it's the first try. First try. So just kind of grace out the gate. So basically what we're trying to do is uh, this moment just with COVID is just really confusing and difficult, and there's a lot of issues to think through well. And sometimes it's really hard to think through those things well in a vacuum. And I know I have tremendous, uh, have benefited tremendously from just bouncing these, some, you know, this moment off my friends and off my colleagues, off you guys, just long conversations about, hey, what do you think about it? How do you process and how do you make sense of this? Yeah. So we wanted to do that with some of these issues that kind of come up that confront us that I think demand that we think well and think Christianly uh, about these things. And so um, the first one we wanted to tackle is something I think that's near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, just today um, on my social media and my, and my phone, I had three friends just independently who are I'm fairly connected to. One's my best friend from high school, a couple other folks our friends that um, one in the area and one out of the area. And they just said, hey, could you pray for me? And their prayer requests that came in were staggering. Like mm -hmm. my mom died and my, and my brother-in-law's gonna go to jail for multiple life sentences for uh, things I, I can't even, uh, unspeakable evil. My, my daughter is going to chemotherapy. They just discovered she's got this really heavy, really heady stuff. And, and, and it just keeps piling on. This is in addition to the, just the general narrative, the, the grind of COVID, the fires we just had, the state of our nation, the race relations, the, the, I, I mean, it just goes on and on. And so the, the hurricanes in the Gulf. Oh, yeah. Right. It just keeps yeah. going. I mean, every, it seems like August was just like a cavalcade of awful. So, the question is, and, and this is what I want, we, I would love to talk about suffering. And I know, Jay, you had the similar situation. Um, a colleague of Jenny's, uh, your wife, kind of just emailed out of the blue and just said, hey, I have a question about, about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of weekends ago, a dear friend of my wife's, they work together. She's part of Westgate, sends Jenny an email or a text and just, you know, man, I just have a question. What's going on? I thought God, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but ultimately the question was, I thought God was loving right. and I thought God was all powerful. So he loves us, meaning he has a, our best intentions in mind and he's all powerful. He can do anything. So those two things don't seem to line up when I look at my life and I've heard that same refrain from so yeah. many people and it's totally understandable. I mean, when you just look at the state of things, just like you said, Dave, but we've been taught, you know, God loves us and he can do anything. So if he loves us, why doesn't he do whatever he needs to do to make it all right? And uh, yeah. I think that's the question we're trying to tackle. It's a good question. So, yeah, it's it, the, the word for this, I think, theologically is the word theodicy. Um, T-H-E-O, Theo, and D-I-C-Y, the, the study of God in pain. Why does God allow pain and suffering? How do we make sense of this? And by the way, this is not the first time that humans have thought of this. This cultural moment might be uh, bringing this up in a lot of people, but humans have been studying and writing treatises on this from time immortal, you know, uh, so uh, immortal. So, so how do you, how do you, how did you respond to her? How do you guys how do you guys process uh, this amount of suffering and this amount of pain? And how do you, how, how do you respond to that? Well, I think 
the first the first thing I would say is first theodicy actually stands for theo. It's two Greek words, uh, God and justice. And so it's, uh, DK is the word for justice. And so it's a combination of trying to figure out if God is good, how come things aren't just? And that wrestling match has been going on for millennia. Um, and I would say that as we, as the, for those who are listening, and, and as we try to delve into this, let us first say um, that these are deep waters. We are not going to solve this issue. Um, we are not going to be able to answer all your questions. We do not think we speak for God and know his mind. Um, so whenever anybody says, well, why doesn't God do anything? Well, I don't, the truth is, I don't know. I mean, I've got some indications from his word that tells me about his character, but particular situations with particular actions. So my first thing that I would say whenever you go to answer this is, is to say, one, good question. I mean, you should be wrestling with these kinds of things. The, yeah. if, you're, if you're right now not wrestling with how the goodness of God and the current events that we live in are playing out, you're, you're either just not paying attention or you don't care. So it's great that you're questioning these kinds of things. Yeah. But secondly, to know that we, we, we go into some things, and here's, here's I guess, the way I would say it. There's two issues here. One is, philosophically, we're going to talk about this. And theologically, we can talk about this. But we don't want to divorce ourselves completely from the emotional side of this. When you ask, what is God doing? It's because you're hurting. And so mm -hmm. as we talk about some of these topics, I, I just want to tell you up front, we, we're, not, we're not calloused to the pain. Trust me, all of us here on this screen have had bad things happen, significantly bad things happen, that have hurt us deeply. And we have wrestled with some of this. So we just want to share the wrestling match. We don't, church isn't necessarily a place where you get your, your questions answered. It's a place where it's safe to ask questions. Yeah. That's the way I like it. And so I would say that's how we begin. We begin understanding that there's an emotional uh, price to be paid whenever you're asking these kinds of questions. And we're not the experts. We're just here to share. Yeah, that's awesome, Steve. Let, let's delve into the, uh, let's delve, you, you said we're going to start with the philosophy. Let's start with the philosophy and the theology. There's a framework for understanding why evil exists, and the Bible begins to unwrap that starting in the early pages. So, so how does the Bible and the story that we have of Scripture, how does it help us make sense of that as Christians? Yeah, I think that's, that's the best question to ask. Um, when you start, because it's important to start at the at the start, <laughs> at the beginning. So, yeah. uh, you know, growing up, I actually, I grew up in the church and I, for a long time, um, until I was in my early 20s, I thought that what the Bible told us was, because these are the stories I read in my picture book Bibles, you know, that God made a perfect world in the beginning and that he plopped humans in this perfect world. And then all we had to do was enjoy his perfect world. And that's not totally accurate. Uh, when we go mm -hmm. to Genesis one and two, we, you know, the creation narratives, when we're told about how God creates the world, first of all, even in our English translations, um, perfect is not the word that's used, nor should it be because the word in the original language doesn't mean perfect. Cause you know, when I think of perfect, I think of like, 
a painting that an artist puts all of his might into and it's like it's completely finished it's a finished work and right. if you touch a bit of that painting like even one sm smidge you've made it imperfect because it was once perfect that's not the image of creation in the beginning the word used is that it's really, really good, right? God makes all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he, every time he's like, man, this is good. This is good. This is good. Except for the part where God makes man and only man. And he says, you know what? This is not good. And he makes woman and now there's community. And then God is like, okay, there we go. That's it. And so creation, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, the story tells us not that God creates a perfect world where he plops humans just to enjoy the perfection. It says that God creates a good world. And essentially, we don't have time to get into all the language, but essentially what God says in Genesis 1 is that he creates human beings to steward that good world, to work alongside God to bring more and more of the goodness, the potential teeming mm. with life in creation and good creation to bring it to bear. Uh, this is why God has Adam name all the animals. And, you know, he says, be fruitful and multiply. There's stuff for human beings to do. Um, and as we're called to do stuff, we're given a choice to do that stuff. And I think choice is a big part here. Right, because mm -hmm. he's calling us to to co-labor with him in bringing about the good potential of the world. So it's not perfect, and we have responsibility to partner with God to bring about more good in the world, which demands choice. Which then I think Steve maybe leads to choice is a key word here, right? Yeah, it is. It because there was. God could have probably, if you eliminate choice, God could have probably made it more perfect. Mm -hmm. um, like a static painting. To yeah, but there was, a, there was a greater good um, rather than having a static robotic creation. And right. that was, the greater good was um, personal relationship with the living God. Yeah. Centered around love. And in order to have that, that opportunity for a personal relationship with God um, based on love, you have to give the person the choice to choose that love. Right. In other words, you, if, if you eliminate choice, you've eliminated love as a possibility. And so the great risk, God's great risk in creation was he valued the greater good of a relationship with us than he did a world that stayed good all the time. And so he, that risk was we we're going we to reject. And it just didn't take us very long to, to, to goof the thing up. Um, and that, that's when our choices came in. And now what we're experiencing now, in my opinion, is just the generational accumulation of, of sin and mistake and brokenness and pain stacked on top of each other, generation after generation after generation. That helps to explain some of the conflict that we see. But what about how do you make sense of double hurricanes hitting Louisiana or the wildfires that were hit um, that that just caused real destruction here? That feels that feels like not man-made, you know. So a lot of people are like that. Cancer doesn't feel man-made. It's like COVID is a is a virus that 
I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories, but like, it's just, it's, it's made in the lab and you know, no, it, it's, it's like, it's, it doesn't, it's, 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 it's not something that we did. So like, how do you make sense of, of that? Is that just a fallout from um, just the, how, how do you make sense of that? How would you explain that? To, how do you explain that to folks? Well, um, you know, Jay, when we were talking earlier, what was the word that you use when sin gets entwined? Yeah, N.T. Wright, the theologian N.T. Wright, he calls sin a nexus web of sin. You, we usually think of sin as I go to Steve and I tell him I think he's a jerk and I hate him and never want to see him again. Now I've sinned against Steve by speaking, you know, out of anger or malice toward him. One to one, right? That's typically how we think of sin. And then Steve's feelings are hurt and he's down or whatever. So he feels bad. He, he feels pain because I sin against him. That's certainly true. It happens all the time. But sin is much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. We have thousands upon thousands of years of human history that has created, according to N.T. Wright and many great theologians, a nexus web of sin. That sin entangles us in this crazy like almost spider web of just it's everywhere and it's this is connected to that and um so it's a nexus web it's not as simple as one-to-one all the time so in some ways and i certainly don't know uh this is beyond my knowledge um, but in some ways hurricanes and cancers and covid viruses are part of that web I don't believe God created those things for us to punish us or he caused those things to happen. That I do believe that there's a, there's a, a cumulative cause and effect that essentially when sin entered, entered into the world, it entered eventually into every molecule of the world. We are all fallen. And then back to the scriptures speak really clearly about creation um, suffering the consequences of of sin too. Paul says, yeah, all the creation is groaning, waiting for things to be perfected. Like yeah. Paul even says every aspect of it. But this gets us into, uh, Steve, you, you've taught on this, you've talked about this. Um, you, there's like a, a, a way you have of thinking about how involved God is in suffering. Because some people would say, some people have said, God sent COVID to bring about this. Other people say God has nothing to do with COVID and um, has nothing to do with God whatsoever. And so um, I, I actually put together some slides. Did you want to you want to go through these uh, these kind of sure? Ideas? I can, but let me make sure that I give credit where credit's due. I didn't okay. come up with these, that, um, nor do I think uh, Gary Bashir's came up with them. But this is some stuff that Gary Bashir's shared with me, and um, it's it's very helpful for me. And what it is is it's it's kind of a sliding scale of God's involvement um, in terms of determining what happens, and then our involvement in terms of our choices that affect things. And the first one would be called meticulous providence. And this would be where God's involvement is the very strongest. It, I, I, I refer to it like as the Shakespeare um, uh, understanding of things where uh, you know, Romeo is not going to say anything unless Shakespeare writes it, <laughs> and then that character says it. So God has a written plan out in some ways, and he controls everything to the detail, to the smallest detail, and causes or gives permission 
um, for every event in history. And this would be, again, the strongest position towards God's sovereignty, if we could use that word, his sovereignty over the affairs of mankind. That would be the first one. The second one we would call active providence. And I, I, I refer to it as like the ship captain. And by this, I mean, there's on, on, a, on a cruise liner, there's hundreds and hundreds of people on this cruise liner, but the captain is in charge of when that ship will leave the dock, where that ship will go, what course it will take, when it will arrive, all mm -hmm. of the big giant picture things of what's going on, that captain is in charge of. But surely with those hundreds of people on that big ocean liner, um, they're going to make choices that are free for them to do. They can decide what time they eat their meals. They can do those kinds of things. So in this thing, God does have a written plan, but he serves as a guide in history um, towards an appointed goal. He, he gives us some partnership with him um, as we're on this, on this journey of life. The third one would be called um, what Gary Brashear's called free will providence. And this, you understand this one kind of like, or at least I do as someone like a king is that a king is sovereign over his kingdom and his kingdom exists everywhere where his role, his rule is law. But he has even less control than a ship captain because of all of the different um, variations that could happen in his kingdom. He might have knowledge of all of the events of history, um, but he only occasionally interferes with the events as they play out in a person's life. And then we work our way down to this final place, which is called dynamic providence, which would be the least involved of God's positions. We're kind of working our way towards less and less involvement in God's uh, involvement in the details. And this I would understand like a president is that, um, and please, this is not a political statement in any way about <laughs> anybody, but um, in, in, a, in a country that's run by a president, that president is, is only over some things and is actually very limited in what he can accomplish in terms of the big things uh, that are happening. So in this view, God created the world where there's lots of growth and lots of things happening. Um, and God works in us to kind of emerge his message to people, but, but his, his involvement really is, is very, very minimal. And so when you begin to think about um, evil, one of the things that you've got to understand we've already talked about is how did God create the world? Big picture, he created the world good, and one of those goods was free will. The second thing you have to start to wrestle with is what is God's, as best we can determine, and each of you can need to, to think this thing through as you listen to us, what does it seem to be that God's method of interacting with that world? Is he like high control over every single little thing and up down to even things like what you're going to eat tonight or what direction you're going to turn in your car when you go to work? Um, to the fact uh, more and more freedom to where then finally, if you get towards that end of the dynamic providence, you're going to God's God's involvement in the details is going to be very little. And he's just watching the big picture kinds of things as stuff unfolds. So you I hope that's helpful. Yeah. You it's, presented all four as though they're, they're equally uh, uh, 
you know, have equal weight in scripture is, do you, do you come down on uh, one or two or is, is there, is that okay to ask? Am I allowed to ask that? What's your, what's your, um, how do you read scripture? As you read scripture, which one pops out the most to you is the most consistent with the largest amount of information that scripture gives us? Um, the, it, it's got to be number two or three. I'm probably a two with a little bit of three. Um, is where I land. Mm -hmm. and, and let me let me tell you why, and maybe this is helpful, is that I think that um, in the four, dynamic providence, I yeah. think it limits God's promises too much. God mm -hmm. has promised to be intimately involved in details of our lives. He's not just big picture. I mean, he, he cares about he cares about how we treat people, how we treat individuals. And in fact, that's one of the primary ways that he he actually brings agents of grace into life is how we treat one another. Mm -hmm. The other part is, is that the, the, the one um, at the top, and I, I say this respectfully, if you're a one, a meticulous providence, great, that's, that's fine. But to me, um, it takes away a little bit too much of the human responsibility of our choices. It seems like over and over again, we're commanded to make good choices in the scriptures over mm -hmm. and over again. And why would we be commanded if we didn't, in fact, have choice? Um, that just does, that seems contradictory to me. And then it also seems like it actually paints God in a little bit against his character. When he describes himself, he says, I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Hmm. Deuteronomy 34, he gives us autobiography. This is how he describes yeah. himself. Yeah. And... Um, and, and if that's true, and yet everything, every single event that's going on in our current history is absolutely caused and determined by God, and we have no say over it at all, that does not sound uh, consistent with the way he describes himself, if that's, if that's fair. And again, I, I, I understand, please, I humbly give you these perspectives um, that I have. I, 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 am, I, I, I don't know the mind of God. I don't. I don't know the ways of God the way, um, you know, I can't speak with absolute authority, but I would say I'm a two with a little bit of three leanings. Um, that's helpful. That, and, and we'll, we'll throw that up there um, at the end there too. So people can take a, uh, go through that and, and, and search that one. Uh, I guess another question I have, or one that comes through is um, that the meticulous versus the, you know, how does, how do things happen? That, that, that's helpful, but there are things that now let's go swing to the other side away from hurricanes. There's some real self-inflicted wounds that we, we do to humans. I mean, we hurt each other. And, and if God holds us responsible for our choices, there's some real stuff that real people really do to really hurt one another. Sure. Um, and, and it seems like uh, that's, that's just not known, but like, why, 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 how is that the best possible scenario for us? Like how you said that God did this for our goodness. How is that freedom to, to do that much damage? How do you make sense of that biblically? You know, earlier you were, uh, Steve, I think you were mentioning, or maybe it was you, Dave, you're mentioning Romans eight about all creation groans, you yeah. know, I mean, to me, it strikes me, Steve, I know you've been studying Romans a lot in your devotionals in the mornings. It strikes me, Romans, this is all throughout the Bible, but Romans might be the place, you know, as, as all of you watching are wrestling with this. 
Uh, Romans is considered by many as Paul's sort of magnum opus. Like the thing is just, it's such a, it's a hard letter. I'm not, I'm not saying it's an easy letter to read. It'll take you a, a while if you're digging deep into it. But Romans has all sorts of fascinating, Paul has all sorts of fascinating things to say in his letter to the Romans about some of this stuff. You know, the three of us were talking yesterday about the way Paul even opens his letter and it's pretty hopeful in the beginning, but still like right there in chapter one, pretty early, he goes through this whole process of like, listen, sin, this nexus web of sin, all this brokenness that, that is in all of creation itself, even in us at the sort of cellular level in some ways, it, it bubbles up to the surface and then God, uh, this is Romans chapter one, somewhere kind of maybe in the middle or toward the second half says, God gives them over to their sinful desires. And, and the word before the phrase, God gives them over, gives us over to sin sometimes is therefore, right? Which we say all the time. If you, <laughs> yeah, therefore you got to ask what's the therefore, therefore, so if you read before all of that, what you re recognize pretty quickly is God isn't like impatient and, and just angry all the time. He's like the moment we do something wrong, he's like, I'm done with you. Yeah. He, as we've been learning in, you know, as we've been journeying through the Exodus story the last month or so, he's slow to anger. He's like really, really slow to anger, but he's slow to anger like he can still yeah. get angry <laughs> yeah. and eventually you know all of that that brokenness you're talking about dave sort of our now it is almost sometimes it's a one-to-one -one sort of direct sin toward another or still sort of a nexus web but we cause we're the the issue of causality when it comes to sin against our brothers you know um this isn't this isn't god making it happen at least my best understanding of scripture it's certainly not God's plan nor his will for us to harm each other. In fact, the first sin story we read in the Bible after everything goes haywire, after the initial sin of the fall when Adam and Eve rebel against God and eat the fruit and get banished, the first human sin is a brother murdering his brother, mm -hmm. right? It's, a, it's yeah. a human harming another human. And that story is intended to tell us that when we rebel against God's plan and his design for us, for his glory and for our flourishing, one of the first things to happen is we begin to take up arms against each other. Mm -hmm. We lose sight of the way he's called us to be one people, mm -hmm. and we just start fending for ourselves. And we're seeing that in such painful, destructive yeah. ways in our lives and, and in the world. And that, that cumulative effect started out with just really just some, some guilt, some blame in the relational context between Adam and Eve and the shame of them recognizing what they had done. Well, if you, you, then you, you go just a couple of chapters further and then all of a sudden, bam, there's murder introduced into the world. I mean, it, so you can, now if that happened just in you know, a span of one generation, um, what's happened now over yeah. uh, the span of many, many, many thousands of years. Um, one of the things, and we'll, we'll close it on, on this, one of the things that's um, kind of difficult about this is in the New Testament, all sorts of suffering begins to 
descend upon the church. Uh, Rome begins some persecution, um, some, play, uh, some, some famine starts to hit. Um, there's some real bad stuff that begins to happen in the lives of these major characters. And as we know from history, some real terrible stuff is going to happen. And there's not a whole lot of um, there's not a whole lot of people in the New Testament who are authors uh, uh, explaining the why. And Steve, you said this. You you think the why is actually not really why is this happening? Why, why is God doing this? You 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 think the reason the the Bible is kind of silent on this because it's not really helpful. Well, it's not. First, it's not helpful to ask because it just doesn't get answered very often. So. I, this is coming from someone who spent who spent um, months around the tragedy in my family, asking the question why, and then realizing what would what would it help if God answered me? Yeah, I don't think He's going to, but if He did, is it even the answer that I get? Would it really the only the only truthful answer He could give me is one that shows this web of sin? that has led to this catastrophic event. So it would sound very sterile and very academic when he started to go back three generations of something that caused this and caused this and this caused this and this caused this. And, or even if it didn't, wasn't generational, even if it was just, well, this person had too much to drink and this car was going too fast and this light turned red at the wrong time and whatever it might be, those things don't help. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't help with our grief. Mm. But it's very natural for us to ask, well, why is this happening? And it's interesting in the New Testament, uh, we find a place where some people came to Jesus and said, why did this happen? Some dudes got killed, a tower fell a on. A tower fell, why, right. Yeah. Why, did this, why did this happen? And he shifts the question. He doesn't answer the why question. And in fact, he says the, the right way to, to kind of approach it is what? with a what question, what can I learn? What is God up to? You know, what does it look like to move forward? Those kinds of questions move you. The why question is unproductive for you and the health of your soul, and it rarely gets answered. And if it did get answered, it wouldn't really help. So in so the New Testament, there's these questions about like, what is God up to? Because there's a baseline assumption that because of the cross, God's really good, and that he's up to something crazy good in the world, and that he can bring beauty out of even the worst circumstances, right? So how do, how, how, if, if somebody comes to you and says, how do I get through these terrible times? What, what, what's, your, what's your recommendation? Like, what, what do you say to them? Well, I would say that... that um, you say, ask what God's up to? Or what, yeah, what? and here's what, here's what God's up to. What God is up to is what he has committed himself to. Now don't go, this isn't Steve's word. This is God's word to you. I, he has promised that he who began a good work in you mm. will complete it until wow. the day of Christ. Mm. Every single thing that's going on in your life, God is intending to work. Now we can rebel against it and it doesn't have its intended result. But if he's intended for it to bring about Christ likeness in us, mm. then we would actually learn to live like our Savior lived. And so these passages, otherwise these passages don't make any sense. Rejoice, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of any kind. Right. Because right. the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance will actually bring about maturity. It, it will bring 
something in your life that you can't have, you can't have otherwise. Romans 5, the road to hope is that we're going to have we're going to have tribulation. Tribulation is going to bring about perseverance. Perseverance brings character. Character brings hope. There's a road to the things that we want, and it's through these hard times. Now, that doesn't mean that God caused the hard time. It means that he will redeem the hard time. Mm. He will take that harshness and the things that are going wrong in your life. I believe with all of my soul, and I've seen him do it over and over in my own life, he has taken something that I thought was horrible absolutely horrible and he has turned it for my good and and i'll let jay share on this a little bit but just every single person listening to this knows this every single person if you're honest and you think about it there's been something in your life you wanted more than anything and you didn't get it and then later on you realized that's a good thing i can remember i there was a girl when i was 16 that i was so in love with when we broke up I cried and cried and cried and said, God, please let me have, let me spend the rest of my life with that girl. And I look back on that now and go, thank you, Jesus. If you start seeing Garth Brooks's, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> no, but I'm I mean, cut it, off the video. I'm going to cut off the video, Steve. <laughs> agreed, but I mean, that's a silly example. It's the same thing, some, right? There's some, yeah. there's some hard times in our lives that we look back on and we can say, wow, that's really significant. I believe with all my heart. And the scriptures promise mm. that God is active in the, the things that come about in my life, didn't cause them, but redeems them and turns them for good. And, um, and that allows me to grieve, but to not grieve without hope. I actually grieve with right. the hope that God will turn something good. I wrote down, cooperate with what God's doing, respond as a child of God. But there's also a dark side to that. And as you were talking, and Jim, maybe you can close us with this, is sometimes I believe the very worst about God, and I believe that he's not really good, and maybe it's time for me to repent of, of, of doing that for God, right? And that's, that. if I'm honest, man, sometimes it's like, well, this must, you know, I, I, might, I might need to change my thinking and repent of some bad thinking about God. Yeah, I mean, you know, all of us, are the three of us we share in common the fact that we are all parents who love our children deeply but we also share in common that we have significant brokenness in our relationship to our parents Mm -hmm. and what you know for me that dichotomy has been really fascinating um for me you know i had a mother who was really involved extremely caring and um, had my best interest in, in mind always, never doubted that. And then I had a father who was only a father as a figment of my imagination, just not a part of my life. And what I realize now in hindsight, looking back, you know, I often think of God as my earthly father. And, and in those moments, I forget um, that God is much more like my earthly mother. And what I mean by that is this. My father would, um, he'd send money every now and then. I didn't know him at all, never saw him, but he'd send money every now and then. And we'd send him money too over time, but he would send money every now and then just to make life function for us when we needed it. You know, single mom trying to make a way as an immigrant. And uh, I often think of God that way. And when I do... I find myself asking mm-hmm. the why questions. Why didn't you send the check last month? 
because that's what we that's what I need and that's a valid question to ask but it's narrow because it has nothing to do with a genuine love relationship it has to do with utility and function it's just God is there to help my life function um, and to maximize my comfort but when I think about my mother when I say she was caring and involved, I don't mean she just hugged me all the time and gave me what I wanted. Most <laughs> of the time, it was discipline and yelling and no, you cannot do that. And I would say why, and she would say it doesn't matter why, because I said so. And at the end of the day, in hindsight, I look back and what I realize is she was navigating me through circumstance, circumstances, most often that she did not cause, but as a loving parent was navigating me through those circumstances in a way that I would become the person that she felt God had called me to be and that she longed for me to be as a loving parent. And that demanded pain and heartache and, and um, lack sometimes and not getting my way most of the time. Hmm. And hmm. I think if we begin to think about God as a matter of function, that God exists to give us a comfortable, happy life, then we're going to be grossly disappointed because yeah. God yeah. cares very little about happiness in sort of the Western modern American sense of happiness. Hmm. What he promises us is peace, joy, and ultimately that we, we grow into the likeness of the risen Christ. And that's hard work. Right? Yeah, the, the beautiful picture maybe of this, and I don't, uh, David, let us know if we got to stop. But oh, you're um, if, if you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see there the first part of most of the, the first two thirds of the chapter actually are the kinds of ways that we hope our life works. We hear about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all of these victory kinds of stories, these heroic kinds of stories where someone overcame these very difficult odds and stood up against all kinds of pressure and won the day, won the day. But I want to tell you that the the chapter hinges and changes a bit. And because of this, I, I want to show it to you. It says, it says halfway through verse 35, it says, after listing all of these people who had these tremendous victories, it says this, others, that group others, others were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. So we've been kind of, you know, spouting off about these kinds of things. And I have no doubt in my mind, there are some of you watching this, that COVID has wreaked significant havoc to your life. Mm. That um, racial tensions are not something that you just, that you just watch from a distance. There's something that you live every day. Mm. Um, economic um, upheaval is not something that you're anticipating happening somewhere at the end of the quarter. It's something you've been already living for four or five or six months. And I would tell you that um, because it appears sometimes in those bad situations that God has left you, but just the opposite is true. 
he is always in scriptures over and over again. There are a couple of places where you can always know God is, and he's always with the brokenhearted, always with the humble, the contrite and the brokenhearted. So if you're watching this and you're thinking like, yeah, thanks a lot for some theory, but this isn't really helped me. Let me tell you this. God has a better resurrection for you. He has a better resurrection for you. There's going to be some people who kind of bebop through life and it's going to be easy and quick and all good. It's all up and to the right. It's okay. That's what we all want. It just doesn't happen very often for many of us. The rest of us, there's a better resurrection. What do I mean by that? There's more of Christ to be formed in you. Please do not lose heart. God has not left you. He has not. He has promised that he will go through these times with you. And there's a better resurrection for those who stay faithful to the end. That will be, um, you will spend eternity thanking God for these, what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, these light and momentary troubles. Mm. You're going to spend eternity thanking him for the better resurrection that you receive because of it. Do not lose heart, men and women. Do not lose heart. Powerful. Well, thanks, thanks, uh, Steve, for sharing that, and also, you know, Jay for for coming in and 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 pushing us to have this conversation. Yeah. And um, we hope that it's it's been helpful. Uh, I love that. Just cooperate with God. Like, what's God up to? That's the right. That's the right question. I, I love what's God up to, and then the belief that He is up to something good because He's good. And, yeah. and that's, that's, that fills us with both with hope and with agency. Like I can participate with God in this. And I think in this time, hope and agency are about what people need maybe the most. <laughs> so, what I need. Yeah. So thank you guys. And we hope this has been helpful and thank you, Jay. And thank you, Steve. And, and uh, yeah. we'll, we'll Thanks, try to guys. do this, do this again. And, and thank you guys for uh, stopping by. Yeah. God bless. See you.